Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner. I'm the producer of the show. We're really happy that you've joined us today. We've got a great guest for you, Jenny Katrin. She's a leadership coach, author, and speaker. She speaks at conferences and events nationwide, seeking to help leaders develop the clarity and confidence to lead well. As founder and CEO of the Foresight Group, she consults organizations on leadership, team culture, and organizational health. Jenny is the author of several books, including Clout, Discover and Unleash Your God-Given Influence, and The Four Dimensions of Extraordinary Leadership. We have a great conversation with Jenny today, a really fun conversation, and she knows her Enneagram. So sit back, uh, strap in, and get ready for a fun ride. And without any further ado, I'll introduce the host of our show now, Ian Cron. Jenny Katrin, welcome to Typology. Thanks for having me, Ian. I'm looking forward to this. Well, I've been looking forward to it as well. I so enjoyed being on your podcast. Jeez, uh, I don't know how long ago was that now? It was, you know what? I think four weeks maybe. But yeah, we our listeners loved hearing from you. So that was that was great. Thanks for being a part of that. Oh, good. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> Just feel free to go on about how much you're listening. <laughs> about how great it was. Yes, it yeah. was. It was fantastic. That's that's good. I'm so glad. All right, let's let's just start out here. How how did you learn about the Enneagram and how has it affected you personally? Not professionally, but personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I first was introduced to the Enneagram, and I'm guessing it was like 10 or 12 years ago. Uh, by my counselor. So I was, at the time I was running, uh, I was the executive director of a nonprofit, was growing really rapidly, was, you know, just running, 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 and, and was starting to really wrestle with um, just my own sense of purpose, identity, etc. And so I found myself in a counselor's office for the, like the first time in my life, and uh, which was totally like unnerving and you know, just stretching me in all new ways. But she introduced me to the Enneagram. And, uh, and so I had no experience with counseling. I hadn't been in any of those kind of environments. And so then a tool right. like Enneagram was just new and different. And uh, so she introduced it to me. At the time, I was trying to share with everybody else what I was learning. And everybody was like, Ennea what? You know, because it was didn't have the popularity that it does today. Right. But, um, but it was really pivotal for me in just uh, really in my self-awareness. And of course it had tons of application. You told me not to talk professionally. Um, so personally it was just a, a, a ton of awareness around what, what was driving me, what was motivating me, um, that quest for achievement and affirmation. It all started to make sense to me. And, uh, so that was, that was my starting point. We actually spent probably a year with Enneagram in my counseling. I mean, we, there were some other things we talked about as well, but I think it took about six months before we settled on my type and, uh, and then really began to work with it to help me kind of understand, okay, what is this, what is this helping me know about myself? All right. So you, you discover all this shadow material, right? Yeah. This uh, quest for achievement, this uh, need for approbation, et cetera. How did that make you feel? Um, exposed. 
right? Like I, I think, um, so, and so I, I really, and I still wrestled with this to a degree, is I wrestled with this um, almost shame in that there was this dark side that I was unaware of um, and that everything that I had done to find significance and worth and meaning as a human um, was coming from a place that had some unhealthy parts to it at a minimum, maybe. Um, and so I felt really exposed in that I wondered if everything that I have been doing as because Enneagram three, very much the achiever, uh, it all started to feel a bit hollow. Mm-hmm. So then I kind of went on what I feel like has been a little bit, bit of a roller coaster ride over the years of, uh, finding, finding a way to, uh, connect with those parts of my type as an Enneagram three in a healthy way. Okay. How do I, how do I show up as a healthy achiever? How do I show up as a healthy, um, uh, how do I find a healthy uh, relationship with affirmation and approval? Mm. And uh, so that has felt like a roller coaster because for a, a bit, I felt like all of my achievement was bad, that driven part of me that wanted to accomplish so much. So I kind of did the pendulum swing of like, oh, that's all bad. All of that in me is so bad. And, uh, and then there's been a lot over the last decade of trying to figure out, okay, how do I right size that? Um, where is that drivenness actually a gift to others and when is it not? And I feel like I kind of go through that pendulum swing all the time. Yeah. I think oftentimes when people are introduced to their type, they totalize uh, the, the negative side and, and without baking into their calculations, you know, this is also quite beautiful. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, like, you know, when my when I am operating skillfully in my type, um, I I bring a particular gift to the world that is um, absolutely necessary for the functioning of human community. Right. 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 Uh, yeah. When when I'm over relying on it, and I'm asleep to the unchallenged beliefs of my type governing my life from the shadows, mm-hmm. I'm in big trouble, right? I mean, that's right. that's when, when things go haywire, you know? Um, so, you know, I, um, I'm curious because we're, we're in this COVID moment, right? And uh, I, we, I've done a lot of podcasts recently on the Enneagram and stress. Uh, mm. A lot of podcasts, people asking me on to talk about you know, how do different types react uh, to quarantine or all that kind of stuff, even though we're right. kind of a little bit past that moment. You are a well-known coach, a leadership expert, someone who is in the business of helping leaders to thrive and they're t- helping their teams to thrive and to flourish, which means that you, like me actually, have spent most of probably, I don't know how many years on stages, speaking on airplanes, uh, probably staying in nice hotels, right. um, blah, 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 blah. You are a three on the Enneagram. That stuff is like methamphetamines to you. <laughs> uh, right. And, 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 I, and here you are, if you're like me, no one is sending me a private jet to come and speak no. No. At, their, at their place. So, I mean, I'll, are you suffering any kind of withdrawal as a three from the attention and the affirmation and the love of the crowd? 
yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> um, but and it snuck up on me a little bit. It was the uh, you know because of course I feel like I've done so much work to understand and be a healthy three and all these things. And then you know we get a couple weeks into quarantine, and I and I, you know the first moment that it hit me was my last trip, and I was unpacking my suitcase. And it dawned on me, I don't know the next time I will pack this suitcase. Mm, wow. And it was just kind of this symbolic moment of, ooh, like, okay, I'm, I'm noticing that there's a, there's a loss here. I'm grieving something here. So I start mm. to even pack, unpack that. But it really was the recognition that, um, and, and I have this, uh, it really, it, it works quite nicely for me, Enneagram 3 with a four wing, that I, you know, I go speak on the stage and then I come home and I have a couple days to be a recluse and like do my writing and content development and like re-engage and do all the creative side of my four wing and then go back and be the hero and, you know, the person who's helping solve all the problems with my clients. And as soon as that was gone, it really did like strike me that um, I don't have a stage, right? right I don't have people right. to dress up for. I don't have the, you know, the, the praise and the accolades and the atta girls. And uh, I'm sitting in my office in the same four walls. And fortunately, at least I get some Zoom interaction. And, right. uh, but yeah, it is, it has definitely been a bit of a, um, just a moment for me to process what, what, what does that look like when I don't mm. have those typical outlets to, to perform and to be the achiever. So, so, you know, on one level, it makes sense that an achiever, and I have a very strong three wing. So uh -huh. I'm a four with a three. You're a three with a four. Uh, so actually, you know, if we spent a lot of time together, it'd be very easy for us to be friends because, right. of, that, because of that three symbiosis happening, you know, uh, sure. between us. Um, and it makes sense to me at one level that it's okay to like to be in front of people. It's okay to want to be a great presenter, to want to inspire, to want to help, you know? Mm -hmm. The other side of, and, and you, so you should do it, right? You should, you know, you should never leave a stage thinking like, as that four wing would be trying to do, <laughs> say, saying to yourself, oh, you know, that, you know, that's just me being inauthentic <laughs> and doing my, doing my shtick Right. You know, yeah. my dad, da, 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 da. it's like, well, it, it's not that, you know, it can be a very beautiful gift. This, this mm -hmm. very charismatic, inspiring piece, right? We all, we need that in our world. But as the Enneagram teaches us, um, these are compulsions, they're addictions. Right. Yeah. Uh, they're not just, you know, habits. They have a compulsive, addictive quality to them. Yeah. This, so the threes need for attention, for messaging the appearance of success. Right. Um, you know, the, the, the need to um, win the admiration, not, not so much the approval, although that's a piece of it, but the admiration. That's key. Yeah. That's, of, yeah. Of, of other people. I mean, that's, you know. That's the dark side, right? That's the that's the addiction side. And it sounds like you were just having normal withdrawal from I I really was and and even still feel it to a degree. And what you know, one of the things I've noticed, you know, when I have uh, when I'm noticing that shadow showing up a little more 
is uh, kind of a fixation on I can't quite do enough. Um, right. So I'll just do, 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 do. And, and here, you know, I mean, what a, I mean, there's, there's a whole lot about this pandemic and quarantine that have been really hard on a lot of people. But there's been some beauty in the fact that um, in some ways it slowed us down. It's made us more aware and attentive to some of the more simpler things of life. And so here right. I've had these opportunities to be more present to my family, um, enjoy the garden and my yard and things that I rarely have time for. And, and yet I'll feel this, this um, internal battle of uh, having that space and I feel guilty for not being over here accomplishing things and, you know, uh, you know uh, achieving all these things that feel more significant to me in some ways. And I re- will really notice that uh, difficulty to be present, even though I yes. have more time to be present. Um, yes, yes. Uh, I hear you on that, that my little three wing has that feeling uh, all the time, you know. Um, So I'm going to read you a list of qualities of threes. And as I do, um, I'd like you to tell me which which ones or which one really stands up and sort of sparkles for you. Like, oh, yeah, that's mine. You know what I mean? Like that. That's that really shimmers. Okay, so number one is. Constructing and maintaining a specific image to impress others. Okay. Doing without stopping in order to avoid feeling. Okay. Uh, Another one would uh, be, um, let me see. Um, The avoiding failure at all costs. Probably more that one. Okay. Um, tell me about that. Yeah, I think it is. Um, I think the, the, the second one, the, to avoid feeling, I think that was true earlier in my journey. I can reflect back on, you know, a 20 something version of myself. And I think that one felt a bit more true, but I am terrified of failure. Um, Mm. I am terrified. And and I'm honestly really wrestling with this because now I run and lead my own business you can't run and lead a business without like taking some risks and, you know, and, and having some failures. Right. And so there are times where I notice that I, I am so risk of, or I'm so failure avoidant that I actually don't take some risks that would be really healthy growth and development of my company. And so I'm noticing how it's actually hindering the development and, and growth of my team. I can coach other, I'm coaching other businesses and other leaders and I can coach them to take risk all, the, all day long. And then I'm noticing I'm having difficulty doing it myself. And I really think it's that fear of failure. What will people think? Will they, you know, will, will I lose all credibility because of a failure? I think that's like what, what I, is, is, is in me when I start to try to reflect on that. Yeah. Oh, thank you for being so vulnerable. I, I've been in a 12-step program. My, my audience knows this for a long time. And my sponsor just said to me the other day, what others think of you, Ian, isn't your business. Oh, I need to put that somewhere like a plaster isn't that, on my walls. Wasn't that yes. often? Uh, so maybe, so it threes out there. Business. Yeah, it's like what, what others think of you isn't any of your business. Oh, I get so weight. I so fixated on that, Ian. Like, oh, yeah. so fixated on how will people perceive this? How, you know, what will they think of this? Um, I, one of the things I notice about just my 
and I, I have a very small platform relatively, right? But like I have some influence in the circles that I'm in. And I have this persona where I am kind of a friend to everybody. But in some ways, that makes me very um, uh, not distinct, right? It's like I think sometimes I try so hard to um, fit in everywhere that I lose some of the distinctiveness of who I am or even what I bring to the table. And that's mm, something I'm, right. I'm just wrestling with right now. I don't feel like I've resolved that. I don't guess well, resolve it necessarily. Yeah, yeah you, you can. I mean, I think what you're referring to here is the passion of the three, which is either deceit and in some ways it's also called vanity. Mm. Um, so it's deceit in the sense that, you know, you're not consciously lying to people, but there's a part of you that is able to be friends with everybody in because you can look in their eyes and and read what they want you to be in order to win their admiration do you see what i'm saying and totally. then and then shape shift in order to become that person and then suddenly you're friends or you know you so yes you know there other types don't have that particular ability right yeah. so sometimes i think threes walk around with like a three by five card on their forehead that says how am i doing <laughs> totally yes do you, do you yes. like me yet oh i'm asking that question a hundred times a day how am i doing what did they think of me like did i you know did i did i uh, yeah yeah how am i doing what do they think that is constant in here yeah yeah and that's you know, keep going you're, I was going to say to that point about the, um, uh, you know, the shape shifting and, and kind of reading the, so, you know, on, on other ass personality assessments and things, I'll read very high intuitive, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to read the environment. I'm going to show up the way you need me to show up. And yep. uh, in some ways that serves me really well as a consultant and a coach, because I'm going to quickly read the, the environment. I'm going to quickly read the other person. I'm going to be able to meet them where they are. Um, but then I'm trying to extract, okay, where is that authentic and where is that not? Um, and in some ways it serves me well, but I, I would even love to hear from you. Like, you know, how do you, how do you do that in a healthy way? So it's not experienced as manipulative or um, uh, inauthentic. I think sometimes I worry that do people experience me with the authenticity that I would ultimately hope they, they you know, that they see in me. The Enneagram, and this is a word we don't use very often, we should use it more, is a discernment tool. Oh, and I like so, that. Yeah, I, I think it takes some time to discern things. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, like, you know, am I, you know, we're always, like, self is not a noun, it's a verb. We're, you're mm. always selfing. So at any given at any given moment, you may be going in a conversation from authentic to inauthentic to but you, you know what I'm saying? Like it's sure. it's it's not like I'm authentic, you know, all the time. You know, it's like right. nah, that would be really great, but I don't think anybody is. And and so it you know you're you're probably moving around like like the rest of us do, um, and you know I think so much of life is about what is your intention, Jenny? Have you ever read? I'm sure you have. Uh, Parker Palmer? Yes. Okay. Uh, I, I, what was a little famous book of his? Oh, Let Your um, Life Speak. Let Your Life Speak. I used to tell people all the time that if you see a copy of Let Your Life Speak on someone's desk, 
they're going to be gone in two weeks. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. That usually means that they're thinking about finding another job. You know, oh, like great. A, yes. You know, That's but, awesome. but I love Parker Palmer and Parker Palmer is a self-identified three. Mm. Which oh, you I didn't would, know that. Yeah. Yeah. And which is fascinating, right? Because it, you wouldn't think he, he is. Um, he has struggled greatly his whole life with depression, which I think probably gives him a four-ish kind of quality. But he is mm -hmm. a three. And listen to this quote of his and see if it sort of helps answer the question that you just posed. He says, our deepest calling is to grow into our own authentic selfhood, whether or not it conforms to some image of who we ought to be. Oh. As, we, mm. as, we do, as we do so, we will not only find the joy that every human being seeks, we will also find our path of authentic service in the world. Wow. Isn't that... Yeah, authentic service in the world. That resonates. Yeah, I think this is the, the journey for every three. That pretty much captures it. And I like that it was written by a three. Mm. You know, one of the things that we haven't spent a lot of time talking, I didn't, I wasn't able to in the road back to you because of we, you know, we were trying to write a primer and so you were cutting things short, right? Sure. Yeah. So, well, we didn't get a chance to talk about passions very much. Mm. And um, some teachers call them fixations. Uh -huh. um, and, but it's, they're so important to understand because every type engages in a behavior like called a passion or a deadly sin mm -hmm. as a strategy to satisfy its needs and desires. Okay. Okay. And it's like an ever present unconscious emotional force or compulsion that drives what your type does. Right. Okay. And, and, and not to put too fine a point on it, but here's the deal. Your passion, my passion, is the greatest enemy of your spiritual and personal transformation. It is the lie of your type. Mm. Okay. So that vanity, that um, deceit at times, that inauthenticity, right. um, uh, it's with you. It's like it's been with you since you were a little bitty kid. Because right. somewhere, somewhere between wiring. And your culture, your family, your coaches, your friends, all of them helped create this three pattern of behavior in you. Right. Okay. Right. Until it reached the point that you could not live without the admiration and the behaviors that garnered it from others. Right. Served you great as a kid. It'll screw up your life as an adult. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's. That's what you want the Enneagram to do is to help you to spot it. Now, mine is envy, mm -hmm. okay, as a four. That's my passion. One of the ways I've learned um, when it's activated is somatically. It's in the body. I can actually tell you where envy, when I start to feel envy, I know it because I can feel it right there in my solar plexus. It's a feeling of kind of wistful longing. Uh, I'm comparing myself to other people. Oh, Mike Hyatt is so much more successful than I am. Or, you know, uh, so-and-so, gosh, I wish I, I wish I had that quality of kindness that they had. You, you know what I mean? Like, like sure. 
that's a big feature of force, comparing themselves to other, envying material things, qualities in people, whatever it may be, and feeling like we don't deserve them, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. You know, so for you, I guess what one of the ways that you can know when you are not in a good space is if you can find out where deceit or vanity lives in your body. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then be able to go, uh-oh. There it I is. Can, yeah. Or what, or when a pattern of thought starts to run. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you're yeah. like, you're like, uh-oh, I know what that means. I am slipping into my false self right now. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I am not my true self. Right? I am slipping toward my false self. I need to pull back toward authenticity. And I know that sounds all woo-woo, you know, like somatics and stuff. But where do you think, if you had to guess right now, you might be wrong, but give it a guess. Uh -huh. Where, where does your body, when does your body and where in your body do you feel like I am going to the wrong side of three? You know, I mean, I, a couple things come to mind. Um, there's a little bit of kind of the runaway dialogue in my head um, yes. is one of the things that, that like I, I uh, all of a sudden I'm trying to convince, I, I'm, I'm creating these internal arguments that are trying to convince somebody of maybe mm -hmm. why what they experienced wasn't my intention or, um, you know, uh, if I'm anticipating an engagement that might have some conflict or something and I'm, I'm working through everything. So there's a little bit of like, that, that runaway dialogue where I just create the storylines before anything has even occurred. Um, right. The other thought I had is, is the almost in my shoulders and the stress and the, yes. the anxiousness all sits there. Yes. So let me just give you a couple of examples. And this is really important, okay? Mm -hmm. It's not woo-woo. This is like, um, like evidence-based research is behind this, okay? Uh -huh. I'll tell ones all the time. You're three, but when I'm working with ones, I'll say, where do you feel it in your body when you know your passion of anger and resentment is rising to the surface? And invariably I hear from them, my jaw clenches. Oh yeah. And I feel it in my shoulders. Uh-huh. I, I just, you know, I can, I, oh, I'm angry. You know, that that whole thing. A sure. two will, will say to me, it's almost like there's some force in a moment when someone, I can feel that they need something, I wanna meet that need as a helper, a two. Uh -huh. It's uh -huh. like, I feel like I'm being pulled forward by something to say, how can I help you? It's like this, uh, like I'm being pushed forward, like like someone's got a rope in my chest and is pulling sure. me forward. And I think with three sometimes, you know, um, I think it's this kind of, um, feeling of mania a little bit I, was, it's a, I can't stop moving i can't stop doing i can't i can't stop you, you know, know it's funny as you as you were saying that and i'm having a little more time to process it i'm thinking about of course these last few months where i have not had the same outlets for you know for my typical uh uh, uh achievement and I can't get enough running, walking, biking. Like there's just, I feel like this, I got to move. I've got to do, I've got to mm -hmm. somehow like release some of that 
energy in some way. And some of it is just even work activity of, I will find so much more fulfillment if I sit here at my desk until 7 PM, which is not healthy. Um, but how quickly or how much more satisfying that will feel to me than, um, you know, just going and engaging and doing some other things with family or friends. But that, that mania was a great word because there is a little bit of like, I got, I got to go do something. I gotta, I gotta do something because I'm, yeah. Yeah, I got to I got to go achieve something. I got to do something to check it off on the list because for me success equates with love. Yeah. Achievement, how much I get done um determines the degree to which I am worthy of love. Yeah. And I'm you earning know? it every day it feels like. Exactly, right? <laughs> all right, so all right, you run the Foresight group. Yeah. Okay and you work with leaders you're a coach and uh helping teams and leaders that i said earlier to thrive i'm sure to work more efficiently uh you're working with cultures to make to maybe to to detoxify cultures or uh work like that um so i guess the question i have for you is what numbers do you see in your coaching practice more you know most often in your work what enneagram numbers yeah. Um, I see a lot of threes. Um, I think they, I think they, they, uh, uh, quickly like rally to me cause we, you know, share some of that, just, you know, some of yeah. that approach to the world. Um, a lot of eights, I will work with, a, I work with a lot of senior leaders, founding leaders, and, uh, and, and I do a lot in the nonprofit space. So I'll see a lot of eights, you know, that have that deep justice, um, side and, um, but that driven, you know, make it happen, bulldog of a leader kind of personality. Um, you probably see a you probably see a lot of reformer ones too in that category. That's probably yeah. Yep. You know, who are very much concerned with issues of fairness and justice. For sure. Um, yeah, keep going. So threes, eights, yeah. maybe threes, ones. Threes, eights, um, ones, um, sevens. I see a lot yes. of sevens. Um, yes. I'm thinking through some of the exec teams that I'm working with and, uh, and, and when I'm working with the team, I'll see a little bit better mix, especially if they're a healthier team, you'll start to see some of those other types. And that's usually when I get called in because they start to, not that I, I don't do specific Enneagram coaching, but I usually, that's one of the tools I'll say, Hey, if that's familiar to your culture, you know, take the assessment because it gives me insight into the different dynamics of the team and a bigger team. I will often see. Uh, a few different numbers at the table and you'll see the conflicts between our fives who are uh, processing and doing usually in the, the, they're often in the CFO or finance type of role. Um, But then you've got the conflict sometimes between the high achievers who are driven and wanting to go, 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 go. And your more, uh, your, your types that are more attentive to detail and process that uh, then you start to see a little bit of push and pull between their types. So. You know, it's interesting what you were just saying uh, earlier. You, you know, you were talking about how much you fear failure and, and that that's something that's pretty terrifying, right? Failure, yeah. uh, particularly public failure. Um, people tend to think of threes as, oh, great entrepreneurs. And I'm like, uh-uh. No, it's actually really hard. It's really hard because it, there's too much exposure. Yeah. I'm not saying I don't know threes who are entrepreneurs. I'm just saying that as a, as a general rule, threes follow sevens who started the company yeah 
So a smart seven hires at about the five year mark, a three to run the company and they'll either sell it at that point or allow the, the company to put them in a whole other sector to start a new division. Right. Y- y- you know what I'm yes. saying? Yeah, that's but, exactly right. You know, uh, so threes make great CEOs, but not necessarily great entrepreneurs. And so I'm sure you've worked with companies where you have a three that's or a seven who's holding on too long with founder syndrome. Yes, yes. Yep. Yeah. We uh, that you're you're exactly right that you do those those founding and and they're terrible. I mean, I love sevens, but they're not always they're not great leaders of larger teams and larger organizations because of you know they they do need to start new things. They do need to have the freedom to move quickly and take the risks and do all of that. And typically, when the organization gets to a level of maturity uh, that requires more systems and process. Uh, you know, they, they're going to hold it back. And I've really worked with some leaders where they, you know, they're not ready to move on and the dysfunction of their team kind of continues uh, because that's just not their yeah. strength or their skill set. Right. In fact, I have seen companies, and I would, I would argue that Apple did this to Steve Jobs, who some Enneagram teachers think, you know, they've got good reason to, was a seven. Okay. Um, I would say he's a seven. But... What will happen sometimes is this incredible visionary seven comes into the equation and they grow this gigantic thing. And then, but they don't want to stop taking risk. Right. Yes. Well, but now you've got several thousand people working for you who are going risk. Risk means I've got a 401k here. I got kids at home. I don't want to take huge risks that could possibly sink the ship. And the seven's going, we gotta keep going. And everyone else is going, um, we kind of like to keep things how, you know what I'm saying? So, and then eventually what happens is, is the company spits them out like a cancer. Yes. And breaks their hearts. Yes. Uh, But if the seven had seen it five years earlier, that, you know, it could have ended much better. You know what I mean? they, they should have walked with the, with the sale. I was going to say, yeah, they should have, yeah, should have moved on in their own timing to, you know, to really control that narrative a little bit more and not, yep. uh, and, and yeah, and it, it is the, um, that dynamic of, uh, there's a lot more at stake and, uh, and sometimes, you know, those founding leaders won't have the perspective on how their type kind of creates the disruption to a much larger organization that needs, that is at a place of maturity where it needs a bit more stability um, and helping them find their lane in that, in that new era of leadership is important. So yeah, you're exactly right. All right. So you got all these three coach, you're coaching all these threes. Mm -hmm. How do you convince a three that authenticity is what will help them most succeed. Right. Do, you know what I'm saying? In other words, like as a value, and then how do you get them to tell the difference between transparency and authenticity? Oh. Be, because transparency and authenticity are different creatures, right? Yeah. Um, but genuine, authentic selfhood, like how do, you, how do you convince them that that's what they need to do? You know, Honestly, Ian, I feel like for most of the leaders I coach, they have to learn it the hard way. 
Right. Um, and because then usually that's where, some, where they've kind of engaged with me is, uh, and, and this, was, this was true of me and, you know, a handful of years ago that I, I think that um, that drivenness, that fear of failure did not want to admit that something wasn't working in how I was leading and wasn't open to the inviting feedback. I, I, just this compulsion to kind of an arrogance to say, I'm going to figure it out myself. Um, that ultimately leads you to a point where you, you do, you do have a failure. You do mess something up and then you're, you've been humbled in that process a little bit. And then you're going, okay, wait, how do I lead better? How do I lead from a healthier place? Mm. So for a lot of the threes, they have hit some kind of, I call it like a crisis of purpose moment. doesn't mean they've had some major failure, but they've had some kind of crisis that has caused them to recognize their mode of operation is not working. And if they don't change something, they're going to really have a failure of, of, you know, whether it's their business, their team, whatever. Um, so they usually come to me when they've started to recognize this mode of operation isn't working. I, I I have sometimes been invited in to coach threes um, because somebody else has recommended it and I get a lot of resistance. Like if they haven't gotten there themselves and I don't yeah, know. Well, the, they think you're gonna, yeah, oh yeah. Cause they think you're going to talk about feelings and be woo woo or therapeutic. I mean, even you admitted you didn't really want to see a therapist cause you know, then you'd have to talk about feelings, which oh. is not really in your wheelhouse. No, not at all. Speaking of that therapist, they made me do a feelings journal um, as one of my exercises. <laughs> and like my first handful of pages of my feelings journal was why feelings journal was a stupid thing. Um, and so, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was not the most uh, comfortable. And, uh, and, and honestly, I, w I went to a therapist because my boss made me. Right. Right. So, I mean, and I hate, I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed to say that at this point, but I'm so grateful that I had a leader who was, who was um, uh, conscious enough of the unhealthy place that I was in and pushed me to something that was uncomfortable for me because it made me better. Mm, and right. when I get those opportunities with some of the threes I coach, um, you know, I, I, that is one of the places where I'm now willing to take the risk and push because I've experienced it and I know ultimately that it's going to be good for them. But yes, they, they absolutely will push back on the, you know, Hey, what's the, I, 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 in a lot of the coaching that I do, I'll have people say, well, I expected that you would, um, you know, make me build the strategic plan and you would have this, you know, this, you know, all the tactics and things, that's how you would coach me. And for, especially for threes, I'm coaching them on, uh, you know, doing some identity work, who they are, understanding their personality, understanding their wiring. And, uh, and they're like, why does this matter to my work? And I'm like, it matters deeply because a healthy leader, a healthy team, a healthy organization cannot exist without a healthy leader. And, uh, but it takes a lot of work to get people to that place of recognition that that's, yeah. that's the work they need to do. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Most threes, threes, sevens and eights actually, you know, like, okay. So if I'm in a room with, I don't want to say this too hard because it's not hard and fast, but let's say I've got a room of 30 year olds, 25, 30 year olds. And they're all three set. All the three sevens and eights in the room are thinking, 
why do I want to change? I mean, yeah, I agree with you, but it's working for me. Right. I'm I'm crushing it. I'm I'm making a million dollars a year. I'm 28 years old. Yeah. I'm, you know, or I'm doing this or I'm doing that. Why do I need to change anything? Mm-hmm. It it doesn't really become of interest to um, a three, seven, or eight to change and do the kind of work you're doing with them right. until um, someone says you're going to get fired for being such a jerk. There's a huge consequence to it. Yes. There's a, there's, or they've, they've been fired and they come looking for a personal coach or, or some, or their marriage has fallen apart because they didn't stop working or some crash has yes. woken them up. Yeah. You know, other numbers are much easier to work with than three sevens and eights in that regard. Um, <laughs> I've created like the impossible open. work for myself, haven't I? <laughs> no, because I'm sure you have other kinds of leaders. You know, uh, yeah. I know lots of one leaders and I know lots of five, you know, geez, Bill Gates, a five leader. Have you watched the documentary? I have not watched it yet. No, oh, I've got to get oh, it up. It's, it's good. Inside Bill's brain. Yeah, um, because what's so exciting about it to me is you see a five leader. Oh, okay. And, yeah, I got to check and, it out. And people stereotype only three sevens and eights can be leaders. It's like, oh, really? Right. Go look at this. Go watch this and see what a five leader looks like. You, you know what awesome. I mean? Oh, it's fantastic. You know, it, it's and it's actually so well done. Um, okay. So, my, my, we've got to come up on the end of our time, though I don't want to. Uh, but, I, but I have, because I have so many other questions for you. Um, can you tell me about a time in your life as a three when you experienced the kind of failure I just described, mm-hmm. where you hit a wall where it was like, I either got to change this mode of operation, this, yeah. this, the lie, the lie, I have to either, you know, expose and face the lie of my type. Right. Or I'm done for. Yeah, I, so I probably can name two that were pretty pivotal. The first, um, the first I was super young. I was um, about 23, and I was working at a record company in Nashville. Um, and I'd been promoted to the de- head of a, the sales and marketing department, which was, you know, which is achieving all of my Enneagram 3 go- goals in life because I'm, you know, head of a department at 23 years old. And uh, within a couple of weeks, it was not going well. Like I, you know, just, I was frustrated. The team is frustrated. I go to my boss and I, uh, I say to him, you know, clearly this team can't cut it. We need to figure something out because in order to accomplish all of, you know, my goals, you know, we've got to do something else. And he looked at me and he said, Jenny, if you want to work with widgets, go work in a factory. But if you want to work with people, you're going to have to learn how to love them to lead them. And I would say that that, it was, that was a pretty little moment. Yeah. Hold on. You had a record executive actually say to you, if you want to lead people, you're going to have to love them. Yeah. Anthony, did you hear that? How many record labels? <laughs> you know, right? Yeah. I think yes. he said leverage. Right. Yeah. He said leverage, not love. I heard that all wrong. No. If you want to work with people, you're going to have to learn how to leverage them. <laughs> I did have a pretty unique experience and work experience. I had a, I had a great, I had a great work environment there, which so I was good. super fortunate, but you're right. Yeah. It, and it was not at all what I expected. Cause again, I'm in a corporate environment. Mm. I am trying to achieve, uh, you know, and if I look back on that, I'm like 23 year old, all the insecurities, all the fear of failure, 
you know, is rising to the surface. And I am, I frankly was just a bulldozer. You know, I was just barking orders and like, you know, trying to lead this thing that I had no business really leading or any experience leading. But that moment, um, I was on the brink of a failure because I promise you that if I had continued on the trajectory I was on, I would have sabotaged that team and ultimately my seat in the organization. And that leader's coaching was like, and I really took it to heart. And then I began to just devour everything I could about leadership. That's really the conversation mm -hmm. that triggered my passion for leadership development because I realized I don't really understand what leadership means, right? Like I mm -hmm. thought it was be about being the boss. I thought it was about the hierarchy. I thought it was about just making sure things got done. And then I realized it was actually about, you know, helping uh, engage and inspire and draw out the gifts of individuals to help accomplish that goal. So I look at that as a really, really pivotal moment in my journey that defined for me, kind of redefined for me what leadership is. Um, and so I, that was one, it wasn't a, um, failure yet, but I was on the brink of one. Right. It was a near miss. It was a near miss. Yeah. And that was probably one of the most pivotal moments for me. But then fast forward probably another 10 years and uh, I was, it was what found me in the counselor's office. And um, I can remember I was achieving everything externally and it looked amazing. But I remember, I remember emailing a couple of friends and saying, hey, would you pray for me? Because I, I feel like I've lost myself. Like mm. everything externally looks great, but I... Like, I am not fulfilled. I am not enjoying it. I feel like I am just running, 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 accomplishing all these things. I'm getting all the accolades, all the affirmation that I thought I should get because I, I just signed my book deal. You know, we, we were growing and hitting the fastest growing list for, I was uh, leading a church at the time. We were hitting the fastest growing churches list and, you know, all these things that were achievements in our sphere. And and I was feeling really just empty and unfulfilled. And then that's where I learned about the Enneagram, which gave me just a lot, just a, a, a huge tool to help me start to understand and make sense of uh, just, you know, some of that natural wiring of my mm. type. So those are the well, two I'm that come to I, mind. I'm, I'm glad that you didn't have to go through a full, full blown, you know, smash up, which often happens when I've worked because I do a lot of corporate consulting and also you know, in my therapy, you know, I don't have a therapy practice now, but when I, when I did, I mean, sometimes they have to get, go through a wood chipper before, mm. and they do. It's terrible to watch because threes have so much hidden shame that they're out of touch with uh, at yeah. times. And when the failure is public and, you know, the amount of shame that comes to the surface is intense unless they have a high level of narcissism in which case they'll blame somebody else but usually man it's 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 hard on them so all right we're wrapping up but i still have other questions um so i heard a quote the other day from a research psychologist and it really for all the obvious reasons caught my attention he said all companies and teams have problems and most of them are personality problems. Mm -hmm. Respond. <laughs> uh, you know, so one of the things I joke about is like, I actually just need a psychology degree for the work I do. The, my, you know, my business degree and all of this has been helpful in helping coach leaders. But, um, but it, really the problems are people problems. 
right? Like the, when I get it, you know, when you, because companies or teams will reach out to me because they're, they're not achieving an outcome that they are hoping for. And uh, once you get into it, it, it's somewhere there's a leadership problem, somewhere there is a, uh, a, a personality, a team dynamic that is, is dysfunctional and it is inhibiting them from actually experiencing um, momentum towards their goals or what they're trying to accomplish. And uh, so, yes, it, I, I say healthy leader, healthy team. Um, you know, Maxwell says everything rises and falls on leadership. And so I'm a leadership junkie. So I, I, I do actually believe that, that it's really about the individuals and it's about the people and the better a leader, the more attentive a leader is to their team and how to lead them effectively, the more effective their organization will be. But mm -hmm. most senior leaders, uh, a really specific example, Ian, is I will go work with a, a senior leader of an organization and I'll ask them, how much time do you spend with your direct reports? And they kind of fumble around for, you know, an answer to that question. Well, you know, we have a weekly meeting, but, you know, we probably actually meet once a month or, um, well, you know, we have our executive team meeting once a month. And, and, uh, and it tells me so much about the dynamics of that team because I'm a deep believer in your, your, one of your greatest responsibilities, if not the greatest responsibility, if you're in a leadership seat, is actually the development of your team. And you can't develop them if you don't know them. And knowing uh -huh. them means understanding their wiring and their gifting, understanding yep. their Enneagram type. Um, so that was a really long-winded answer to that question. No, it was a great one. I, 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 I use it when I give presentations when I'm starting with working with a team because what I want them to know is, you know, you, you're expecting me to come in here and sound like Jim Collins. You, you want me to come in here and talk to you about grit. You, you want me to come in here and talk to you about, you know, strategic planning. This is not your problem. Chances are you're really good at that stuff. The problem is that very few of you probably have anywhere near enough understanding of the inner workings of your heart and of your person. Mm -hmm. And that's what's standing in the way between you and thriving. Yeah. And, and if all of you can figure out how the rest of you see the world and the, the, and learn to appreciate difference yeah. and tap into your superpowers of all these different types, so we're going to be, we're going to be okay. You know, yeah. right, last, last question. Dang it. <laughs> I can, I can <laughs> we're getting into the stuff we both enjoy so much. So, okay. My last question next week, I'm speaking, this is a very self-interested question, and it's also my three-wing, dropping a name. I like it. Um, I always tell, sing my song, you know, uh, name drops keep falling on my head. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so next week, I'm speaking at Dave Ramsey's Entree Leadership Summit. Uh-huh. And, you know, that's all about, you know, leaders, like leadership of, of companies, becoming healthy leaders, and blah, blah, blah. What do you think um, I should say to leaders, mm. a couple of thousand of them, about the ways the Enneagram could help them in their businesses thrive? Or, or, or if you want to use the word self-awareness mm -hmm. instead of Enneagram, that's fine. But like, what should I say to these leaders? Yeah. Well, I've, I've, heard, I've heard you use this quote as well, that 
you know, self-awareness is the strongest predictor of success. And so I feel like that communicates to business leaders really, where, really well that, uh, that it, you know, that, and there's that study that's, that supports it, that self-awareness is the greatest predictor of success. That mm. usually gets the attention of business leaders when you're trying to make the case for, right. hey, right. you've got to do the, the self-leadership work. Um, and, and then I would say that um, self-awareness for themselves and helping lead their teams to self-awareness, again, is... Uh, you know, you were talking about this a minute ago, but when I'm coaching, we talk about um, culture, uh, culture has to precede strategy, right? Like you can have the best strategies, you can have the best goals, but if your team isn't aligned and working effectively together, you cannot accomplish those strategies and those goals. And great team culture is built upon healthy, self-aware leaders. And so, uh, you know, and I, you know, for me, I use a lot of personal stories. You're going to have those stories and those examples to share. But to give them those examples of leaders who have done the self-awareness work, have led their teams to that, and, um, and then strategy becomes an overflow. Like when we're aligned and working effectively together, mm. we're going to accomplish the goal. That becomes the easy part, right? But it's getting that team aligned and everybody having a healthy understanding of one another and respecting the unique giftedness and individuality of each person on the team, when you can, I say that leadership is sacred work, that, um, that leadership is influence and influence is the power to change or affect someone. And if leaders could really understand that their, some of their greatest influence is with the people that they're leading day to day, their staff, their, you know, their executive teams, whatever, if they can understand that that is their greatest point of leverage, going back to our leverage word, leverage and love can go hand in hand here, um, that that's their greatest point of leverage is un unlocking the unique giftedness and individuality of each team member and getting them aligned towards the goal, they'll hit their, they'll hit their business goals. They'll hit their strategies. Right. Right. Um, but it's got to be a, that comprehension and the understanding of that. Well, Jenny, we got to go. And I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry we got to go. Let's have a let's have a non-podcast conversation one day about consulting the Enneagram and things we're learning and because I I just I love the work that I get to do that way, you know, and um, because it's really fun to see the to get people past their cynicism about about doing inner work. Yes. And, and having them realize that that has been the problem. I'll, cl I'll close with one teeny story. I, I was working with a guy who was an eight and the company was, uh, he was head of a division of a fortune 500 company. And I mean, he was an eight, like you have never met. Okay. Like an eight, eight. And at the end of it, he brings me into his office. I've spoken. This was after I had done some interviews with other members of his team, his executive team. And he says, all right, so what's the problem? And I paused for a moment. I went, you're a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> he said, what? Awesome. I said, I said, well, I mean, if, if, you, if you want the short form of the report is you're a jerk. And he said, and he stopped for a minute. And he goes, go on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just knowing that it was an eight, I knew I could get away. He with could handle it. that. Yeah. 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 And he actually wanted as short an answer as that, you know? Yeah. But, and it was the truth. I had to tell him. You're a jerk. 
and that's and people don't like you and the, and here's why and if you want this company to change the key is don't be a jerk mm-hmm. and, and then we were able to start saying well what does not being a jerk jerk look like, look like. and and how do, what do i have to do in terms of inner work to move from being a jerk to somebody who is a thriving leader so this is oh, I love it's this. so good love this conversation jenny katrin foresight tell us where everybody can hear about you i know you're at foresight uh which is the letter four yes uh, you, so the website is the foresight s-i-g-h-t dot com right it's actually get foresight.com dang it because we couldn't get the the um but yes you're so close it's get foresight.com with the number four yeah it's better it's better so yeah, that's the website. And then I'm Jenny Catron on all, all social media. So it'd be fun to connect with folks there. So yeah, thank all you, right. Ian. Well, what a good time. Friends, my typology friends. Oh my gosh, time has flown by. I love you. Uh, I, my prayer is, is that you are experiencing the highest expression of yourself right in this moment. And remember the words of the great Oscar Wilde. Be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. Until next time.